0: today we're going to just look at uh, verses sixteen through eighteen, but um, we'll come back and just kind of make our way through down to the end of the chapter but as we come here, I think it's important for us to recognize that we're now coming to the kind of the second half of the epistle really we're coming we're coming to the to the application part of the letter uh, the first Portion of the letter has primarily been doctrinal. Paul is uh, you know defending his his apostleship he 's refuting the false teachers he 's reestablishing their uh, understanding of the the doctrine of, of salvation by grace and and so up until this point it 's really been uh, you know pretty much just a, a you know a doctrinal uh, statement, so as we come to verse sixteen of chapter five, we now transition into the practical part of the letter so now uh, we're we're being called to respond to now um, you know live out the implications of what he has been saying and this is this is quite common with the Apostle Paul's writings. As you go through his letters, you see that he pretty consistently approaches things like that. Not not always, but but fairly uh, often, his epistles will have a, a strong uh, doctrinal beginning, and then they will they will transition into the practical aspects. And uh, that's very clearly seen in his letter to the Romans, where the first 11 chapters of Romans are basically doctrinal. And then when you come to chapter 12, to the remainder of the epistle, it is practical. It's, okay, this is, this is how you live now um, in regards to what has been said. So that's where we've arrived at now in this epistle to the Galatians here in uh, verse 16. And so again, let me just kind of quickly, you know, set the scene. Paul has, uh, I think, quite convincingly, uh, he's, he's uh, refuted the, the false teachers. He's shown the error of their uh, seeking to add on to the finished work of Christ, the law. And he's demonstrated that from the scriptures themselves, the, the law clearly was uh, to show us our need for a savior. And then once the law brings us to the savior, which was its primary intention, uh, then the law has finished its, its job. And so that, that's pretty much what Paul um, establishes, argues and establishes in the, the preceding chapters. In in Romans 4, he he puts it like this. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So that's that's in one sentence, that kind of summarizes everything that Paul has been arguing here in the first uh, five and a half chapters of Galatians. So since that is the case, since Christ is the end of the law, the question then arises, what does this mean for the followers of Christ? Does it mean that there, there are no laws for us to obey? Does it mean that uh, we now just sort of live any way we want to because, you know, after all, Jesus, he, he secured our salvation. There can, there can be nothing uh, added to it. There can be nothing subtracted from it. So we don't even have to think in terms of, any kind of you know rules or law or anything like that. That that's a question that would have undoubtedly been in the minds of the the Galatians. So so what are you saying, Paul? Then you know are are there no laws? And that is not what Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, what Paul is is going to make clear to us is that as he's been arguing, we are not under the Mosaic law. We're not under that law that was laid out in uh, the books of Moses for justification or sanctification, but we are actually now under a new law. And in chapter six, verse two, he refers to it as the law of Christ. And in chapter six, verse two, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're not under the old law, the law of Moses, but now, now we're under the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, the law of Christ is really uh, the law of love. Jesus said on his, his final night before his betrayal and uh, his crucifixion, he said to his followers, he said, a new command I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. So that's the new command, that's that's the law of Christ, it's the the law of love. So uh, Paul speaks of the law of Christ in Romans 8.2, he speaks of the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we we could look at it like this, that the law of Christ is the law of the spirit, and the law of the Spirit is love. Because as we go down to uh, verse 22 here, Paul's gonna tell us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we are now under the law of Christ. We're under the the law of love. And it's through love that we relate both to God and to one another. And this is superior to any other law that that could have been given. You see, in religion, normal religion, all religion, the motivation for morality or the motivation for right living is fear-based. So you, you live a certain way because you're afraid either that you'll be punished if you don't or that you will not experience the full benefit a blessing if, if you don't. That's that's religion. But gospel centered Christianity, the motivation is a dynamic of love. So as we now move into talking about how we live as Christians, let's keep in mind that the foundation for this is love. And of course if you just think of it in terms of your own experience it in love relationships, you know, you, you do things for people. You want to please people. Um, you want to bless them. It, it's natural. It, it's natural to love. And this is the way we now are to uh, relate to God. So we are to live the Christian life, which is a life of love for God and people. And we do that by as Paul says here in verse 16, walking in the spirit. And so he says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So those are the three verses that we want to Uh, focus on today. So let's just walk through these three verses, and then we're going to come back and and focus primarily on, on what it is to walk in the Spirit. But to start with, when Paul uses the term walk, which he uses quite frequently in his letters, he's using that to talk about our way of life. So our walk is our way of life. It's the way we conduct ourselves. And so he says, walk in the Spirit. Now, the spirit is a. <coughs> the spirit is a, a is a reference to the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes in the Scripture you'll find uh, the the spirit capitalized or or not. When the, when the spirit is not capitalized, it's um, most of the time the the translators got it right. It's referring to the human spirit. When you have a capitalization, it's. Uh, referring to the Holy Spirit, so we're talking here about the walking in the Holy Spirit, and this is the this is the distinction, and this is the thing that Paul is actually bringing the Galatians back around to—something that they had uh, initially experienced, <clears throat> but but something that they had <clears throat> apparently forgotten, and they had, in, in a sense, they'd sort of traded the, this life in the Spirit for this. This legal thing that they came under, where it was all about their uh, ability to perform versus their dependency on the spirit to to work in them, and we can never lose sight of this, and I've, I've mentioned this several times as we 've gone through Galatians, we can never lose sight of this this distinct um, experience that the Christian has it is the experience of being indwelt by the Spirit of God. And and this is obviously radically different than anything you can find anywhere in any religion. And we have to be careful also to not forget that there are even people who would consider themselves Christians. They would go to uh, Christian churches, or they would refer to themselves as, as Christians, but yet they don't think in terms of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But really, unless you're indwelt by the Spirit, you're, you're actually not a Christian in the biblical sense. We have people who are culturally Christian. We have people who are nominally Christian. We have, you know, people who identify as Christians because they were uh, brought up in a you know, in that, that kind of a tradition, excuse me. It's good to have this handheld mic, uh, when you have a coughing fit, but, um, what we're talking about here and, and what the Bible describes as a Christian is somebody who is indwelt by the spirit. And remember the spirit is God. There's one God in three persons, father, son, Holy spirit. The Christian is a person who is indwelt by God. And so Paul is saying, walk in the spirit. He's saying, walk, conduct yourself, live in the the realm of the, the spirit of God who is God. And in doing that, as we give ourselves over to The Spirit of God, as we do that, he says that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is how to attain the victory over our flesh. And he speaks now of our flesh. And he tells us that there is a battle that's going on. There is a struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. For the flesh, he said, lust against the Spirit... And the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul describes here a, a struggle. Now, <clears throat> on the one hand, when you when you just hear you know walk in the spirit, I, I mean that's that's very. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's, it's very clear. And yet it's not easy. So it's simple, but it's not easy. And it's not easy because we face opposition and the opposition comes from within us. You see, from, from within my very being, I, I, I have opposition that rises up to the, the desires of the Spirit, and that is what Paul is talking about here. That's why we have this struggle. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. The, the flesh has strong desires to uh, subdue the promptings of the Spirit, but the good news is the Spirit also has strong de- desires to, to subdue the promptings of the flesh. Now the flesh here is, as you probably have figured out, it's a reference to our our sinful nature, who we are by nature. It's not talking about our our physical body. It's talking about the nature that we are born with, a nature that is um, contaminated by sin and, and has a bent toward that. And so that That sinful nature, that old nature, that person that we uh, were born as wants to have the preeminence. But we now have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And the Spirit of God wants to have the preeminence. Now, you see, what Paul is describing here is this two nature situation that we alone as Christians experience. Nobody else has this. Only the Christian has this uh, condition here because we and we alone are the only human beings who possess two natures. Our, our, our human nature that we were born with and the new nature that we've been given through our faith in Christ. So uh, Peter puts it this way, he says, we have become partakers of the divine nature but here's the, kind of the, the catch. Uh, the new nature has not eradicated the old nature. You see, the two natures coexist. And there's a conflict going on between the two natures. And we live with this. We, we sense this. We, we feel this. We know this we have on the one hand the desire to do those things that please god and honor god and and are exemplifying the the nature of god we we have that but then we find that there's this other thing that's happening simultaneously that that is pushing back against that and, and trying to overpower that that that's a reality and Here, the Bible is describing for us. Maybe you haven't known what that is. Maybe you've just wondered like how, you know, I I became a Christian. I thought it was all going to be, you know, all of those old things were going to be over. I didn't think I was going to have to struggle with those things or battle with those things anymore. Why do I still have these feelings? Why do I still have these desires? That's because the, the, the sinful nature is still there. But the difference now is that you have the Spirit of God indwelling you who will give you the power over those sinful desires. Because just as those desires are pushing against the desires of the Spirit, so the Spirit is also pushing back. And as we submit to the Spirit, we gain the victory over those things of the flesh. And that's really how it works. It is a matter of yielding ourselves to one or the other. If we yield to the flesh, we will remain in bondage to the flesh. If we yield to the spirit, we will be set free from those desires of the flesh. Desires not in the sense that the desire won't be there necessarily, but the desire won't be able to control us as it once did. And so Paul tells us in verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And what he's telling us here is that simply he's telling us because the spirit is in you, you have power now over the flesh, which you would not have if you were under the law. See, the law could never supply any power. The law didn't bring with it any power. The law just simply said, these things are wrong. These things are sinful. But it it didn't supply a person with the ability to overcome those things. But now being led by the Spirit means that we are empowered by the Spirit to overcome those sinful practices, those sinful behaviors that once perhaps dominated our lives. And so, as we now focus in on Paul's word here in verse 16, let's look at what it is to to walk in the Spirit. And the best way that I can, anyway, um, somebody might be able to describe it better, but for me, I, I just think of it in terms of of just being immersed in the spirit, now remember the spirit is in us, the spirit is dwelling in us, and because the spirit is in us there's there's desires in us uh, for the things of God, the things that are going to please God and honor God and glorify God and so forth so that 's there so in in walking in the spirit, what it comes down to is i 'm just i 'm immersing my thing, myself in the things of the spirit so that those desires that the spirit is putting there are able to flow freely from my life because as I'm immersing myself in the things of the spirit I'm simultaneously subduing the lust of the flesh see this this is how it works it's as you give yourself over to the spirit the spirit subdues the flesh so as we give ourselves over as we immerse ourselves in as we just make the the realm of the spirit the the place where we live now in the minds of certain people you have what's called the the divide between the sacred and the secular you ever hear anybody talk about that before where you know there there's the the sacred which is you know the things of the spirit and um you know it's like the church gathering, the the times that you're with the people of God, or the times that you're engaged in something that's specifically um, about the the promotion of God's kingdom or the glory of God or something like that. Well, that's all the sacred. But then, you know, you've got the rest of life, which is the majority of life, which is the secular. And you kind of go back and forth between the two things. Well, you know, biblically speaking, there isn't really this distinction. The, the Bible says for those who are in the spirit, everything's sacred. So all of life becomes sacred. All of life becomes uh, a place where I can walk in the spirit. I can be immersed in the spirit in every aspect of life, whether I'm at uh, you know, uh, a church service on Sunday morning or I'm at my place of employment in the middle of the week, and the, the place of employment that I'm at has you know, no connection with the kingdom of God, no desire to advance the kingdom of God. It is a secular environment in the truest sense, but nevertheless, that doesn't change it for me because in the midst of that, I can still be immersing myself in and living in the, the realm of the spirit because some of it has to do with just a, a heart connection with the Lord on a on a consistent basis, so I, I want to just you know walk us through some kind of obvious things that will just enhance our our spiritual experience and and bring us to that place that Paul describes here that this walking in the Spirit. If if we just engage ourselves in these things. We just immerse ourselves in these things. You know, when you, when you read through the scriptures, the one thing that you, you see with uh, the people that are uh, highlighted, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, you find that, you know, these, th- these people were just, to put it very simply, their whole lives were about Jesus. Of course, the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't come yet. But, uh, you know, their, their, whole, their whole everything was, was about the Lord. And so when it comes to the New Testament, it, it's more specifically, but their, their whole life was about Jesus. They did a bunch of other things, but Jesus was at the center of it. And, and that's really what it is to look like for us as well, that we might do a, a lot of other things. We might do things that would be deemed as secular in a certain sense, because they're not, like I said, in the context of a uh, you know, a church service or something like that. But, but if, if in your heart you got Jesus at the center of it, then that, that brings it into this, this picture that we're talking about here. But these are the things that as we just immerse ourselves in these things, these will result in us walking in the Spirit. And the first thing right at the top of the list is engagement with God's Word. You know, engagement with God's Word. This is, a, this is an absolute fact. I can tell you after, you know, 35 years of being a pastor, I can tell you this. The people who engage consistently with the Word of God are the people who experience the blessing and the benefit of, you know, the, the, the spiritual life. The, the believers who, who are not engaged with the Word of God are the ones that have the most consistently the ongoing struggles with the flesh. It's it just, it's that, it's that simple in some ways. It comes down to that. Because it's through God's word that our spiritual lives are strengthened. It's through God's word that we are uh, transformed, actually. God's word is not like any other word. It's God's word, and it has transformative power. And it renews us into the image of the one who made us. And so the more we engage with God's word, the more we will find ourselves walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And engagement with God's word is something that we do on a personal level, meaning that we take the time, not just... You know, at a church service, but we, we take the time ourselves and we, we spend time consistently in God's word, meditating on it, asking God to speak to us through it, uh, asking him to guide and direct our lives through it, becoming familiar with it. But we also have that other aspect where we're, you know, we're kind of doing that right now, where we're, we're coming together around God's word. We're looking to his spirit and the gifts of the spirit with, with, Teaching and prophecy and those things to also um, be actively at work to give us better understanding and, and to speak you know into our lives. So, but it, but it's engagement with God's word. Remember this. I I always am every time I read this. I'm I'm touched by these words of Jesus. He said, "Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." And that that is so profound. Man shall not live by bread only. In bread, there is food. Man shall not live by food only. Man is not just a, a, a material being. We are spiritual beings. And just as food is what nourishes our material bodies, so God's Word is the primary nourishment for our spiritual person. And, you know, when you think about food... Do you think about food mostly like, oh darn, I've got to eat? Or do you think about it like, all right, I get to eat. I can't wait to eat. Now, occasionally, I mean, it depends on what's on the menu, right? You might go, oh darn, I got to eat this. (laughs) You don't really want it. That's mostly a kid experience. Once we get old enough, we decide what we're gonna eat and what we're not. But, you know, I know for, for me, I think of eating, it, it's, a, it's a very positive thing. It, I'm, I'm not even thinking of it so much as I need to nourish my body, I need more vitamins, I need more minerals. Uh, I'm not thinking of it so much like that. I'm thinking of it more in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm just enjoying doing this, so I wanna do it. And if we understand that God's word is to the soul and to the spirit, what food is to the body, you know, we're, we will have that same perspective. It's like, you know, it's not like I've, I've got to eat, like somebody's forcing this down me and I don't want to eat. It's like, man, I get to eat. I get to, to have that, uh, that, that favorite meal. And, and as we engage with God's word and as we, we develop the appreciation for it, that we potentially should have and rightly ought to have, that, that's what happens. It starts to become this thing where it's like, man, all right, I, I get to eat. And so it's, it starts there, engagement with God's Word personally, uh, it, it, like I said, in the sense that, that, you know, you pick up your Bible, you, you read it. And, and But also, you know, there are so many Wonderful supplemental kinds of things that are available to us as well. We live in uh, an unprecedented uh, time of uh, Christian uh, literature and and so forth. You know, in, in the West and especially in the English language, we have more. Uh, there's more resources, tools in the English language for Bible study and, and so forth than in any other language. There's more stuff available to us today than there ever has been. It's more easily accessed these days than it ever has been before. And, you know, now with the advent of all of the electronics and the technology and everything, you know, you... you you used to have to you know if you wanted to listen to your favorite bible teacher you had to be somewhere where you know there was either a radio station or you had uh you know you had to order their their tape series or whatever man now it's all just you know it's right there you just download it you get the podcast you can go through and there's so much stuff there's there's absolutely no uh good reason why we shouldn't be saturating ourselves with god's word so that's a priority right there. That's where it starts. And, and then along with God's word, just these, these spiritual practices, prayer. Again, prayer is not, for, for us, it's not a duty because we're not trying to earn something from God through prayer. Prayer is a, is a it's a delight. It's part of the, the relationship that we have. We get to communicate with God. We get to talk to God. We read God's word. He speaks to us as he's speaking to us as we're, as we're reading the scriptures, meditating on them, thinking about them. Uh, we talk back to him. We share our hearts with him. We tell him our concerns, our fears, all of those kinds of things. We, we look for a response from him. You see, again, we're just talking about a life where we're, we're conscious of and living in the spirit. Again, I want to go back to the biblical picture. When you read the New Testament, just read the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, what you see is these people lived day to day with a consciousness of the fact that there was a spiritual world. That things were not just what they seemed on the, on the outside, but there was something that was going on behind the scenes. They, they lived with this. They understood this. And they conducted their lives in relation to that reality. And that's that's what we're talking about. Walking in the Spirit is just recognizing that the Spirit is the the primary thing, the foremost thing. And and the battle that we all face is the, the imposition of the material upon the Spirit. And of course, the one of the huge philosophies in the world is materialism. What does materialism ultimately say? It doesn't ultimately say, hey, you should buy as many you know, clothes as you can get or have the nicest car that you have. That's not the essence of materialism. The essence of materialism is that the material is all there is and therefore the material is all that matters. But the Bible gives a completely different picture. The Bible says that the material is temporal and the spiritual is eternal therefore it's the spiritual that ultimately really matters so we who walk in the spirit are people who are going to be conscious of that and and living with that sense that you know the main reality is the spiritual so I feed my spirit through the Word of God. So I communicate with God through prayer. So I find myself just taking occasion and looking for opportunity to praise God. All of these things are are ways of cultivating my spiritual life. And that's just me by myself. But then you have the, the connection with one another. So we have fellowship. And fellowship is... The relationships that we have with each other, where Christ is the center of those relationships. And so I through that fellowship, I, I am blessed and I I grow because I glean from you and I I see God's work in your life and I'm I'm challenged by it or I'm I'm comforted by it or you know, something like that. There's something that's happening there between us because of the fellowship that we share. And then, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about just the, the whole idea of, of community, being in community together. And, and that, that simply means doing life together with other Christians. And there, there are some Christians who, who literally live lives of isolation. When it comes to this whole idea of community and doing life with other believers, they're, they're isolated. They're isolated even when they come and they're in the midst of a, a group of other Christians. They don't uh, connect. They don't associate. They don't, uh, they don't really engage. But we have to engage in these things. And that's one of the reasons why we've moved toward trying to establish these community groups where, you know, a dozen or so people can really begin to bond uh, together with one another around God's word and his spirit and his purposes and, and those kinds of things. And all of this is just what life in the spirit looks like. And then there's, there's service to God, you know, being involved in service, did you know that when you serve God, he empowers you to do it? And in serving God, there is, uh, there's both an outlet for the things that you are receiving from him, and there's also an infusion of new things that he gives you. I don't know if you realize that or not. Serving God isn't just this thing like, oh, gosh, I got to go do that, and I'm just going to be so drained when I go do that. No, actually, when you go do that, you are going to be energized by the Spirit of God. Because God's going to be with you. He's going to give you supernatural strength and ability and, and things like that. And, and oftentimes, people have experienced this multiple times, and, and I have experienced this multiple times, where even maybe on a physical level, I just didn't feel like I had uh, the strength to do certain things, but just feeling like prompted, like, you know, I need to do it, and then finding that God would meet you there and give you a real sense of of his presence and power to do those things that he's called you to do. Years ago when I was uh, very sick, it was during the long seasons of of illness that the Lord called me to to go uh, take mission trips and do church planting in countries that I'd never been to before. And and all of it seems so daunting. All of it seems so... um, Wrong in so many ways. It's like, Lord, wait till I get better and then we can do this. You know, I'm sick. Can't you see I'm like in bed? I can't get on an airplane and go do something in this country. I don't know anything about it. You know, these were conversations I would have with the Lord over the years. And inevitably, what would happen is at the end of the day, I would feel that God was, you know, really just nudging me. Look, you need to go do this. And what I would always find is that God met me in those places with his power and enabled me to do what I really couldn't have done in my own strength. So engaging in service and being that that person who steps out in witness for Christ and all of that. Again, you know, perhaps you've experienced this where you, you've just taken a step to share your faith with somebody and you have found when you've done that, that suddenly you, you know things you didn't know you knew, and you you feel the, this power to to just you know communicate the, these vital eternal truths. That's the Lord meeting you there. That's the Lord doing what the Spirit does in those circumstances. So these are the kinds of things. And again, it's not that these things just happen in certain locations like the sacred places, but we just take the sacred wherever we go. And like the scripture says, like Paul would say in other places, whatever we're doing, we're doing with all of our heart as to the Lord, not to men. If, if, if I'm doing something that's obviously connected to the kingdom and it's an outreach, it's a, you know, a missions trip, or it's an evangelistic endeavor or something, you know, fantastic. But also, if I'm just, I'm, I'm there on my job. And I'm doing what I'm doing there as unto the Lord. And that place becomes a sacred place. That becomes even a, a context where I can be walking in the Spirit and experiencing that life of the Spirit. And then the final thing I would say is just the this, this, this simple truth of obedience. Walking in the Spirit means walking in obedience to the things that God has laid out for us in his word. Those who are walking in the spirit are are walking in obedience. And that's really the outcome of walking in the spirit. Paul says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the thing that I want you to see as we close here is that We oftentimes, in seeking to overcome the flesh, we approach it from the wrong direction. And this is vital. And this is really what the passage is pointing us to. But what, what do I mean by we approach it from the wrong direction? Well, here's how we often approach it. I, I see things in my life that are manifestations of the flesh and I know that these things are wrong. I know that they're unpleasing to God. I know that I shouldn't be engaging in these things, and so here's how I approach it. I I look at that and say, you know, I I know that's wrong. I know this doesn't please the Lord. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just, you know, I'm going to take every precaution, and I'm going to make sure that I don't go near that, and I'm going to you know, just not think about those things. And when that temptation comes up, I'm going to run away from it. And, you know, so that's what we do. And then inevitably what happens to us is even though we are determined, even though we are committed, we find ourselves stumbling over and over again. We find ourselves caught in this cycle of, you know, I just keep doing this thing over again, but, but I swore that I wouldn't do it. I know it's the flesh, and I know I'm not supposed to walk in the flesh. And so, you see, our, but our approach is from the wrong direction. How, how is it from the wrong direction? I'm approaching it through my own determination, and ultimately, I'm leaning on my own strength, even though I might not think I am. I'm saying, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. But I keep doing it. Why? Because I've got it Reversed. You see, the way to approach it is not to approach it that way, but the way to approach it is to just say, you know, I am going to dive head first into the things of the spirit. And listen, when you do that, you know what happens? You find that those things that you've struggled with, those things that have just seemed to have you bound up, those things that you haven't been able to get a victory over, you know what you find? You just find that they, they just drop off of you. They, they just, you know, sometimes you don't even recognize it until maybe a few months have passed. And then you suddenly, it suddenly hits you like, wow, wait, I, I, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not even thinking about that. How is that? Well, because you've, you've just immersed yourself in the things of the spirit. And so as you, as you do that, as you just engage yourself more and more with the Lord, then he, by the Spirit, is going to subdue those things of the flesh. The more you feed the Spirit, the more you starve the flesh. You see, a lot of times what we're doing is we're just trying to starve the flesh. But it doesn't work that way. You can't starve the flesh. <laughs> it will never die out that way. You have to feed the spirit. And then it's the spirit that subdues the flesh. So you see, it's, the coming at it from the right direction is coming at it from the place of, I'm, just, I'm going to just give myself over to the things of the Spirit, and the more I immerse myself in this, the more I engage in the life of the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, these things will inevitably die off because they are the, the works of the flesh, and the flesh is being subdued by the Spirit. So it's kind of the, you know, the illustration is uh, the illustration of, you know, if you go into a dark room, how do, you, how do you expel the darkness? It's very simple. You just turn on the light. That's what you do. That's, that's the way to get the darkness out. You turn on the light. And that's what we're talking about here. You turn on the light. You just, you, you engage with the spirit. And you find that the darkness is then dispelled. So this is, this is the beautiful thing. Now the the last thing that I want you to see as we close is I want you to see that what Paul does here is he kind of brings everything that he said right to this point. So it's like, okay, he's talked about, um, the, the, the error of the false teachers. He's talked about the folly of the Galatians. Uh, he's, he's corrected their, their wrong views. He's established the the truth from the scriptures. He's, he's done all of that. And verse 16, these first three words, I say then. So it's like Paul is, you know, okay, here's, here's all of the, the, the wrong thinking and behavior that we've addressed and dealt with. So where do we go from here? I say then, this is where we go from here, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this is the answer to everything. This is the answer to all of those issues that the Galatians were confused about and, and the things that they were uh, drifting back into and, and all of that. This is the answer. The answer is walk in the spirit. And so wherever we are at today in confusion, in uh, any kind of uh, bondage to our, our flesh, in the sense of you know behaving according to the the works of the flesh. What is the solution? The solution is walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Immerse yourself in the things of the spirit. Just just dive in with everything. Just just a full and complete. You know, immersion is the word I keep using because, you know, to immerse something means that you just, it goes all the way under and just go all the way in with the spirit and you will find that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, victory over sin is not unattainable. Now, obviously that doesn't mean we're going to live sinlessly perfect lives but what it does mean is that those, those things that bind us up and those things that, you know, really impede our progress and those things that prevent us from really experiencing the fullness of God's blessing upon our lives, those things are going to be dealt with. And as we just continue to do this, as this just is our lifestyle, it's a lifestyle of the Spirit, we find that the victory is the result. And that's what it means. Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh is the victory that we have through this simple instruction of walking in the spirit. So Lord, help us to just take to heart uh, your word here. And thank you, Lord, that you've, you've brought it down to something so simple. But yet we know that the, the difficulty comes because the flesh even uh, would resist us in yielding ourselves entirely to the Spirit. But Lord, we pray right now. We ask you to give us the strength to just go headfirst into the things of the Spirit. And thank you, Lord, for the promised victory that you're going to bring to each of us. Lord, you've blessed us with so many things and so many ways, so many opportunities to cultivate our our lives in the spirit and to experience your Holy Spirit at work in us. So help us, Lord, just to really engage with those things that we might know from experience what we're reading about here today not fulfilling the lust of the flesh walking in the spirit and having the beautiful fruit of the spirit flowing from our lives we know that's your desire we know it's attainable through your grace so help us to that end we pray in jesus name